0: Previously on Some Like It Pubs, Making a Musical, hosted by Jennifer McHugh. There are moments when you (laughs) hear something and you know that's the million-dollar idea. These two
1: kind of rambunctious nerds have been trying to use science to win themselves popularity. Something goes wrong and Griff turns invisible.
0: I heard his pitch and it pushed every single one of my buttons as far as what I wanted to do artistically, what I wanted to say. Here's a show that's about what it means to see another human being, but is actually a broad comedy, but I get to write pop music, but it's got a John Hughes thing, and it's set in the 80s, and I get to have a sardonic. Yeah, how about that, huh? It's kind of useful being invisible.
2: Okay, so picking up where we left off, um, we had just talked about the concept of Invisible the Musical and David Hollingsworth and David Orris' collaboration in creating the script and the score. So how do you take that and get it produced? How do you get it to the stage? How do you get people's eyes on it?
3: You can make me look like I'm tougher. Dickwads are going
1: to suffer. That's it. grip. This is how we beat Chetlick at his own game. We just use your invisibility to make me popular. And then once we find a cure for you, I'll just bring you up to my level. You being invisible isn't a disaster. It's not even a problem. It's the solution. Oh, my God.
3: Oh, my God.
2: So can you guys tell me the second you had your first draft done? what is your first step to get things rolling? How do you assemble a group of people to read it? How do you get eyes on it? Tell me the process of that.
0: It's been a process of being really scrappy and kind of pushy. Um, I, you know, I've discovered what I love about the theater community is that they are so open and encouraging, I think all the way to the very upper echelons. And I've been surprised um, not because I wouldn't assume that they would be wonderful people, but, why would they have time for me, so like in over the last couple of years, a couple of times, I've written to Bobby Lopez, who I don't know, <laughs> um, but I just reached out to him on social media a couple of times, who gave me really great advice. Um, I asked him, you know, how did you guys get those people to your reading at Avenue Q?" And his advice to me was to he's like, listen, we were just really aggressive and pushy. He's like in the in the nicest way, but we got out there, and we just weren't afraid to ask people. Um, and I kind of ran with that advice. So whether it's been, okay, I have discovered that there's this girl, Ashley Argoda, who I really like. And I love her voice. And she could do amazing comedy. And she's got real depth as an actress. And I think she'd be a great hemlock. But, oh, crap, she's kind of a TV star. But I'm going to try to reach out to her anyway. And lo and behold, she says yes. I mean, it's, you know, my grandma used to say, they can't say yes if you don't ask. So that's kind of been my motto every step of the way. I reached out to uh, Jordan Roth, uh, the head of Jujamson, Jampson, a little over a year ago, who was lovely enough to write back. He didn't have any need to he didn't have any reason to, but he actually liked the idea of our show and put me in touch with nicole i'm gonna i'm gonna crucify her last name Castrinos, who read our scripts and gave us feedback and is now keeping an eye on our show. It's been things like that where. You just kinda of have the gumption to like stick your neck out there and say, Hey, will you look at our script? Will you consider being a part of our reading? Will you come to our show? Will you think about coming to our show? And it's a little bit of a numbers game for every hundred times you do that. You might get one, but that one might be Jordan Roth or it might be Bobby Lopez.
1: Yeah, and it I, I think the the common story, I think, of anyone who's who's kind of creating anything is like Well, you're going to get like just either ignored or rejected a lot. And uh, one of those things where, you know, we've submitted to festivals and things like that. And we've come close, supposedly, a lot of times. (laughs) Um, But I but it's it's uh, that's that's the story we hear really from everybody. That's, you know it's a very vulnerable process of like, really, Hey, I have this show and I'm, it, it means a lot to me. And like, we're, we're going to work to uh, get it as, as out in front of as many people as possible. And I mean, you're, you're just not going to hear back a lot, but uh, you learn to never
0: let that stop you. And we've divided a lot of panels. <laughs> we, we yeah. I I, can't, I cannot count now the number of times and it seems like this is something that's happening in theater where there's kind of the old guard and there's kind of the new guard that are sort of the gatekeepers of entree to the theater and getting your show seen. And we've been an invited show, that's what they call it, to uh, the New York Musical Festival a couple of times now. Uh, but we haven't won the grant. And the feedback that people have been lovely, and not just at the New York Musical Festival, but other things we've submitted to, has been on one side of the panel, we love the show and there's one side of the panel that would put your show through to the first spot and they love it. And the other side, you know, kind of hates you and wish you would stop writing musicals. So, (laughs) um, you know, some people, some people want the evolution of a new rock musical and some people really want it to keep being Oklahoma. And we have great reverence for Oklahoma and, everything that came before. So we're hopeful and we just kind of keep trudging on, but we had a, we got a grant for the the show. You saw Jen at Burbank. We got a grant from the Alhadef charitable foundation. Kenny Alhadef is a Broadway producer who produced Memphis and um, first Date and a bunch of other stuff. And it was this whole serendipitous thing because my lifelong friend, Jay Kramer, who I've known since I was twelve, we did Little Shop of Horrors together in high school. He was the dentist to my Seymour. Jay went to the University of Michigan. Sorry, Matt, with Aaron Alhadef, who is now uh, helps run the family business. And uh, Jay had been saying, Aaron, you've got to check out this show. You've got to check out this show. Um, be notes to Aaron, the Alhadef Charitable Foundation selected Invisible to give us this big grant to put on the readings this year. And um, long story short this weird, we just have this weird serendipitous connection with the Alhadafs, who um, were so generous in giving us this gift and are now spending time with our script. And we have, we have a lot of, uh, we have a lot of lines out in the water. And I, I feel like if we keep casting down our line. We're going to catch a fish.
3: And I'm the one No one but me has ever felt this way. No one but me can understand. They used to beg me to please us, but now they taunt me and deny me. So I'm pretty much like Jesus.
2: So, how many readings have there been so far?
0: There have been five sets of readings. So some have had two performances, some have had three or... Did the stage's readings have four? But there have been five sounds.
2: Okay, so the first reading, what is it like? Is it a band? Is it a pianist? Is it...
0: It was a self-produced, writer-produced reading um, with just a pianist and people at at, uh, music stands.
2: And who's your audience for this?
0: Fellow writers... Friends, people in the workshop. Anyone we could invite.
2: That kind of thing. And what's the timeline here?
0: That was 2012.
2: Okay. So you finish the first reading, get some feedback, rewrite. When is the next reading happen?
0: Wow. Now you're asking us to remember stuff. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Was the next reading Saddleback? Uh, No. Was it? I think it might have been Saddleback, which wasn't until 2014. Was it that much of a gap? oh no
1: there's no way there was something in between that
0: because there was another reading we did at nmi that was just kind of more a thing for us and then mm-hmm. there were the stages readings and then there were the readings that Jen saw. Uh, but i think that there might have been that like year and a half gap in between
1: so yeah so, so the next one yeah was was uh at uh saddleback college with janelle allen the fantastic janelle allen and um uh that was with a uh, a group of students i believe that also was essentially just uh, uh all the students at at that college like that that was sort of the the demographic of audience members that we pulled from and i believe that was also synthesizer i think uh primarily for for musical backing did they have a guitar drums at that point
0: they they had a it was they had a band they had uh it was a trio he had he had synth and piano he he had the synth just laid across the piano and then uh, drum, drum and bass, which we were thrilled by yeah. at the time. So <laughs> that was fantastic.
2: Now, the stage reading I saw was in Burbank, and, and that's the one you said you had the grant for? Yes. So that had a full band. And full ensemble and full cast. And we will be speaking to the principals of that cast later in this series, uh, who are all incredibly delightful. And how did you wind up um, getting, pulling that cast together for the production that I saw?
0: I um, was pretty aggressive about the casting. I'm, I'm really, as, as we'll talk about, the, the roles are very demanding, both in terms of what the actors have to be able to do comedically dramatically and how, what they have to be able to do vocally. And I had seen Michael Thomas grants. I don't remember how he came to my attention. I think it was through Nikki class who played hemlock in one of our readings. And she was phenomenal, but uh, I'd seen video of him and was just floored by him and just thought his choices as an actor, what, what I had seen of him on video and what he was able to do vocally. I thought he was our dream Griff. And it was the same thing with Dan and Ashley. I had been aware of Dan because of Randy Giaia, who was a guy who sang Griff on our demos. Phenomenal musician, and really sweet guy. And he turned me on to Dan, and Dan could sing his face off, came from Yale Drama School, and was this amazing actor who was also an amazing comedic actor, best known for his role as Mark Cherry on Arrested Development. And uh, again, I just kind of pursued him for a couple years. (laughs) I just wear people down. That's my whole, <laughs> it's my whole game plan. And it's very uh,
2: Orisian.
0: <laughs> 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 and Ashley, we, we had worked, uh, I mentioned Nikki Klaspel. It turned out that uh, when we went into these next rounds of readings, we weren't going to be able to get Nikki. And Nikki had worked with Ashley on this uh, show. It was like a Romeo and Juliet using the music of Pat Benatar called Love is a Battlefield. And I became of Ashley, aware of Ashley through that not knowing that she was kind of a TV star because she was a TV star on Nickelodeon and I'm not the demographic and that would be weird. But I just loved her voice and she could do comedy and she had this depth and heart to her. And she sang this song in, the, in that musical called Brave that just blew my proverbial hair back. And uh, I just thought, that's her, that's it. So I we had a couple mutual friends, including Nikki, and um, we were lucky enough to get her to say Yes. So it was just a it was just a matter of identifying the right people and pursuing them. And then Jordan was uh he came in through a straight audition. I had found him on backstage and he came in auditioned and we all just fell in love. And Michael actually came in and auditioned too. Michael, Thomas Grant, who played Griff, came in and he actually came in ready to sing um Griff's big I Want song, which is the well, it's now the third song in the show. It's called You'll See Me. And I sat at the piano and played. And I'm a pretty jaded dude. Like, I'm not easily impressed. And Michael just has this kind of voice that few people in the world, I think, have. I just, all the hairs on my body stood on end, and I was like, I just, to, to be in a room with Michael Thomas Grant and to hear him sing, um, let alone to hear him sing something you wrote, is it's quite something. He's He's a very special talent. So I just saw the special people that I thought would be amazing and I pursued them relentlessly until they said yes.
2: So talk about that Burbank performance. I have seen it and I thought it was way more than a staged reading. So what went into preparing for that performance?
0: Musically, uh, I'll let David talk about, you know, his side of this too, but, uh, musically, um, a lot of those, uh, just a lot of creating a lot of files and preparation of minutia, so that the actors can do a lot of homework and then come in ready to, you know, work on character and work on some of their blocking. Because it was a stage reading, but it was a stage reading with, as you saw, with some blocking and some movement. We had a fantastic director named Elise Dewsbury, who is, uh, she's very gifted and she really does her homework and she puts her, she put the actors through their paces in the best way. It was it was a lot in very little time. I think the real answer to your question is we had amazing actors who were willing to do a lot at home. Well, yeah, I mean,
1: even even just kind of calling back to talking about doing this outside of our normal jobs. This was the, it was the same for our actors and our directors and our, our band as well, where we were yeah. you know usually coming in uh, just after work and and staying for four or five hours we had a couple of rehearsals where we were there like i think close to 10 hours like we would we would just kind of hunker down and that that was our whole day of just just running through running through the lines and, and getting everything because we eat, i mean we we still had had so little time to, to to have everyone together and have everyone run through everything that needed to get run through and on top of that there there were a couple last minute revisions that kind of only hit maybe like a week into rehearsals and and we had to uh uh get going uh and basically have pages for people the next day so it was it was this mix of just on top of everything else that we were normally doing in our mundane alter ego lives coming in after and you know witnessing this thing together but it it was also an incredibly exciting process especially because uh, we, we'd worked with a number of uh of these actors before and um watching them kind of sink their teeth into it again and seeing the changes and seeing what they liked kind of getting getting a chance to to work with them again was great but even more so i think watching the new actors let themselves learn the characters and watching their specific takes on it it was a really exciting and and and, and fun time as well as being hectic
0: yeah, it was it was a lot of work. But like David said, it was a lot of fun. You know, I remember seeing Sarah Kennedy walk back into the room and, and seeing Christy Brooke come back and, and and there's something about the way the actors connect with the show and connect with each other that I feel like somehow immediately forms a almost familial bond. I don't know if that's just them being awesome people or that's the show, but there's something that's happened every single time like David was saying, where I feel like there's a real magic that happens.
3: Whatever! I'm fine! I got this! All right, nerd, get ready. You and me now. Manalo on Manalo. Ow! You are totally going to hear from, like... Oh my lawyers!
2: Let's talk about one of the major problems that you need to solve. And the fact is, is that one of your characters turns invisible. So there is a practical thing where you have to figure out a, a solution on how to make that work on stage. Can you talk about the evolution of the ideas and the concepts of that from where you started to where you are now
1: well we've we've gone through a lot of different kind of uh kind of prototypes on how to uh how to uh, go go through with uh, or kind of express um, a character being invisible on stage and part of that actually there's there's an element to it where we kind of actually even want to leave it up to the people who are putting on these productions at a certain point. We, we, we think there's actually multiple ways to, to get that across. Um, and uh, the, the one that we've, we've been working with a lot lately is um, using kind of a uh, uh, kind of, kind of inspired a little bit by Warhorse, kind of a little bit inspired by Lion King, essentially puppet <laughs> of, uh, of when Griff is invisible, but it's still in clothing. And, um, to, and and with the, the actor portraying Griff just sort of off to the side, so you can both see him emote and uh, and see the actual like you know what what the other characters are seeing of this physical like just disembodied set of clothing um, interacting with the world. Um, so that's 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 one way that we we've, we've considered it. We've also like I mean in our grandest dreams we even. Kind of, kind of think of some sort of ghost-like use of of you know crazy special effects to get everything across. But um, we also want to think small too, and I think the easiest way to do that has been through um, kind of more fun puppet-like um, puppet ex- expressions. We've we've had a couple really bare bones <laughs> ways to get through that. I think a couple readings ago are the way that we expressed that was literally like it was a mannequin bust on a stick. Um, And there's a uh, hat on a stick. It was, it was a a hat on a stick and then a mannequin bust that was like wrapped up like Claude Rains on on a stick also. So um, I don't know. I I'm of the opinion that I think that playing around with that is part of the fun of the show. And even even kind of hanging a lantern on sometimes when it's a little more uh, goofy and sci-fi looking I don't know I think I think that's a the there's there's a lot of ways to do it and um, I don't know I'm, I'm happy with the way that we've we've done it so far but I think there's even more ways that we could still explore
0: Well, our original idea was actually just to let when the actor is wrapped in bandage or gauze with the fedora and the sort of traditional invisible man look um, our original plan was just to have the actor be dressed that way and have the you know what we were trying to solve with having the puppet was seeing the actor's face during a couple of these moments so that we didn't lose the emotion but I think it's actually a really fun acting challenge and you and I talked a little bit about this before Jen I think it's a really fun acting challenge in the sort of spirit of like Phantom or Beauty and the Beast or a lot of things where we don't necessarily see the actor's face have it all expressed vocally or physically um i think that's a really fun cool challenge for an actor um and if you pull it off i think it can be very powerful so like david said i think there are a lot of ways to do it
2: well then let's move on to everybody's favorite topic and that's money
0: <laughs>
2: clearly you have to you can't go into this whole process without money So as you said, you were reaching out to people like Bobby Lopez and everything. Where do you begin to start to get money? I mean, you can stage your first rating by yourself by calling in favors, but as it gets more and more successful, you're going to have to start to pay people. So where do you start with that process?
0: I think where we are now, we're very, very fortunate to have connected with 3D Theatricals. Um, They're a nonprofit organization, but they really know what they're doing in terms of fundraising. Um, So... We're we're very hopeful, and as um, you, you know, you'll hopefully hear in the as the series goes forward. And you talk to TJ. We're very hopeful that's going to go forward. And they uh, w- the reason we're going to be doing uh, a reading for the board of directors this spring, uh, which is what TJ has told us we'll be doing, um, is to kind of get the final approval to go forward for a full production. So that question then becomes a question for 3D theatricals. And at that point we'll have lots of fun dotting I's and crossing T's with our lawyers and stuff and making sure that it's equitable for everyone. But, um, I and think 3D we
2: theatricals are... is a production company. Yeah. Okay. And how did you uh, form a relationship with them?
0: Uh, we were doing a uh, reading at uh, the Stages Musical Festival in cooperation with New Musicals, Inc. And it, the reading uh, was in cooperation with 3D Theatricals and physically happening in their space. So their people saw the show and became aware of it. We were one of a number of shows, but they saw ours and really liked it. And um, that was the name of that story.
2: And talk a little bit about your creative team. You actually, I mean, you have you two being the writers and the creators, you have to bring in, you know, the right director who understands and the right producer and the right customer and the right musicians. So where do you even begin to look for all the right people that are going to be on the same page with
1: you? Well, for the most part, uh, that's that's also something that we've been uh, we've been working with uh, 3D theatricals about currently uh, in the past. It's uh, it's been a lot of kind of pulling favors <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I mean, we, we've been very fortunate to work with a lot of incredibly talented and very dedicated directors like Janelle Allen and Elise Dewsbury and, and Katie Sullivan. I, I think um, going forward, a lot of that ends up being tied to the production company.
0: Yeah, we're we're just kind of at that jumping off point, so we may not even be able to wholly answer your question yet, but we'll let you know in a few months. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and, and we're lucky because three D theatricals is I mean, you know, they they really do these amazing productions. And and TJ in particular, he really is very talented and incredibly smart. And I I I really do feel like three D theatricals and Invisible are a match made in heaven. And I think we we just got incredibly lucky
2: you guys seem you know i I spoke before about how you um, work together so well and you're you're open to criticizing each other how do you guys deal with um, like you said handing it off to other people and standing back and watching it kind of get a life of its own
1: it's 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 nerve-wracking to be sure <laughs> it's a little like you know it's a letting your kid go off to college like there's there's some anxiety but it's also exciting and it's exciting to um to think about the the show really coming into its own and and um i mean we've we've had actually a i'd say a pretty like just because a lot most of our readings have been self-produced we've had a lot of our hands in a lot of the readings in the past but i don't know I, i i i think i feel ready to to kind of to hand it off and let it be uh be a work instead of a Sort of just something that, that it feels like we, we put on,
0: <laughs> I feel ready to hand it off because I like TJ and I trust TJ, but I'm still a control freak. That's true. Uh, <laughs> that helps a lot. That really does help. <laughs> I, I think if it were another situation, I probably would be not necessarily as much at ease, but because it's TJ and I really revere the work 3D Theatricals does, I, f- I feel like we're in good hands. See my new way.
2: want to talk about from the Burbank reading up to where we are now and where we're going to go from here. I say we like I have anything to do with this whatsoever. but
0: <laughs> <laughs> Well, now you do. Hitching yeah. my wagon
2: to your train. Um, <laughs> okay, so ad nauseam, I have told everyone and their friends that I've seen the Burbank staged reading. And that is how I formed my relationship with the Davids. And because of that, I just wanted to know now you've had this successful staged reading and now there's more eyes on it. So where are you now from that reading? Are there more drafts? Are, are, is there more productions? Like where are we going in the future with this?
0: Well, we just finished the new draft and I don't want to think about another draft because I'm tired from the one we just did, but I feel really, really good about the draft. I I think Hollingsworth will agree. I think we really got it to a a special place. A lot of times we get to the end of the drafts and we've had other dramaturgs and I'm cranky and I don't know this draft. I really, I I really feel like we got it to a a place I feel really proud of. And, uh, from here, uh, right now we've talked to a bunch of other theater companies, um, I've I've had a lot of random at total random, not us pursuing them in all cases, like I was talking about with Jordan Roth and Bobby Lopez and just reaching out for advice or whatever. But we've had other theater companies reach out to us. I I we're really excited about a three D Theatricals world premiere and we're kind of putting all our eggs in that basket at this moment. Um, but it really does
1: three D really does feel correct for both Invisible and and and, and just yeah, getting it right.
0: Yeah, totally. So we're kind of focusing on 3D right now, and um, it feels like we're on the right track with them. I think after the uh, reading with the board of directors in the spring, um, hopefully we'll be programming it into the 2017-2018 season, knock wood.
2: Um, Okay, let's back up a little bit. Can you take me through a draft session like you come off of that successful reading? And then the two of you sit down. What does that look like? Are you sitting on the floor in your living room, or is there is there scotch involved? Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: what, Why what, is what, there not scotch involved?
1: God, that's an amazing idea. <laughs> well, you know. That's really what I'm going to take away from this whole experience. <laughs> <laughs> got that scotch. Um,
2: uh, I just want to know what it's like how you guys work. <laughs> as a well, actually,
1: well, we we call each other every week, so that's something yeah. that we um, we have. I, I mean, and we we see each other actually usually more often than that. But um, we always have scheduled at least a a, a check in of how's everything going, what are we working on, what's what's next on the agenda. Um, and so actually, I think with with a lot of um, we've 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 got a little bit of a rhythm down now. Um, in terms of discussing uh, discussing revisions in particular, uh, where um, I think we, we've kind of got it where we can walk away from a meeting where we discussed notes with uh with with a, a dramaturg or a producer and we can, we can say, okay, well, what, what, what are we going to work on next? What's uh wh- what is essentially our homework <laughs> and we kind of just itemize it and um, set ourselves up some deadlines and uh, basically just get everything to each other ASAP to kind of check on and, and uh, yeah, th- throughout the next couple of weeks we just email each other stuff We, we meet together, uh, when, especially on, on stuff that we're really like, well, we, we should both focus on, on kind of making this work together and we'll, we'll actually, we'll even just sit in front of a piano for, for a couple hours and, um, and, and work some stuff out. But, um, I don't know, I, I, we've, we've gotten to a point where I think most of our work is done remotely.
0: Yeah. And when we're, we're, we're hard and heavy in the middle of revisions that, you know, that call might be two, three, four times a week. But I think we mostly work remotely i we had like one I don't it wasn't even this round of revisions. it was a round of revisions previously, I think where i I had David Hollingsworth actually help me with some lyric stuff where I would just you know i was I was really trying to hone in and figure out the right word in you know like ten different instances per song and so I would just make him sit and have writer's block with me <laughs> to keyboard and it was
1: great. And David's partner would bring me, uh, would bring me vegan hors d'oeuvres. It was great. It was a good time.
0: But, but, but by gum, we'd get those ten words. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it just it depends on whatever's you know on the plate. But so for this last revision, one of the things uh, TJ at Three D Theatricals talked to us about was. Uh, expanding the ensemble and and making the ensemble more specific. I think David talked about this, giving just giving life to the um, just giving more specific life to the ensemble, and um, so that became a big part of this revision. So there were a lot of conversations about okay, the ensemble was these ten people. Now it needs to be. How are we breaking this down? And a lot of it was like you know like I'm writing, I'm rewriting the opening number hallways, so it has to stick. <laughs> Because if I'm going to write these two theater kids as altos, I'm going to write these two guys as baritones, I'm going to write the stoner kids as tenors, and I'm going to write this, 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 and this, this is going to be the template that's going to carry out throughout the rest of the show. So let's make a hard and fast agreement so that I don't have to do a lot of painful score revisions 10 times. (laughs) over.
2: A little bit about dramaturgs. Um, I know that some writers love them, some writers hate them, and I'm literally just basing that on Smash, the TV show.
3: But um,
2: I just want to get a little bit more information on why, when you bring them in, why you bring them in, and how it is working with them.
0: I think I air more on the Deborah Messing side of things. (laughs) I love Um,
2: that you knew exactly what I was talking about. I love (laughs) it. Uh,
0: Where I'm not wholly in love. I don't want you to come in and tell me what I need to do. I have my own vision and leave me alone. However, uh, I've gone through the process with a number of dramaturgs now and all also like Deborah Messing. I come out of it usually every time going, okay, that helped. Thank you. Um, but I, I begrudge every step of <laughs> it. <laughs>
1: um, in general, they usually are. Uh, I guess uh, I don't know if I don't know if we've ever worked in a process where dramaturg was like an official title of someone. It usually ends up being kind of connected to either the workshop or the production company or the um, whatever institution we're kind of working through to to get a reading or production done. Um, it kind of usually someone sort of takes on the role of dramaturg, but I know that there are productions where they literally bring in someone whose entire job description is just dramaturg. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess usually in in our instance or or our um, circumstances. The dramaturg has usually been someone who's been part of the creative team in in getting it on stage. Again, I feel like, especially as a new writer, um, having a dramaturg available to us has, was was pretty helpful. But I think the important thing, and it's something that even dramaturgs that we have worked with have have really told us, is that you don't you don't have to just do everything they say (laughs) like you're absolutely entitled to disagree with them especially about something you really feel strongly about and i mean we've occasionally done that and it's worked out and we've occasionally uh we've we've done that where we we super disagreed with something and then we kind of relented and then we went well all right fine so it's it's kind of a it's it's you know, it's knowing it's knowing where your convictions are and
0: uh, like sticking to to what you really know is true. I think I think knowing your own voice artistically becomes incredibly important and knowing when to stick to your guns and knowing that deep in my bones, this is what I heard. These, this is the reason I'm writing this. Dramaturgs are drama are, are opinionated and they have to be. That's their job. So as they jump up and down in front of you telling you what, what is so it's, it's important for you to know where your center is. And, and sometimes that can be tough because, because it's, there's a, there's a fine line between being true to your own voice and being stubborn and stupid.
3: Well,
2: I'm going to have to quote uh, my favorite musical. Does anyone know what that is?
0: Uh, Hamilton.
2: Yeah. (laughs) So look at where we are and look at where we started. So, Right now, here you are. You know, you're working with a production company. You're planning for a world premiere. Journey back to when you first sat down and you met each other. And how how are you feeling about this whole process and and where it's started and where it came from and where it's going?
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing. I uh, I I think it's it's funny. I I, I referenced the. The pitch David Hollingsworth gave for the show, because the first time I heard it, um, and I and I always say that I, I feel like I know if I can write a show or not. I'm still a relatively young writer in in terms of musical theater, but I feel like I know if I can write a show if I hear music, and I I mean the second he started giving the pitch of the show, I started hearing music. I um, this is completely. Anti the layman angle process, but I actually wrote the song "Girl in the Dark" before we wrote the outline. <laughs> I just I started hearing music the second he started giving the pitch, and um, turns out the show is pretty close. You know, I think to the tone, the overall tone, and the emotion, and the and the music I heard, and um, it's gratifying. I think it's 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 exciting because we're we're on the precipice of a, a huge world premiere, possibly and Even if that were not to happen, I feel like what we've built together, it it fulfills the dream we set out to create. We we built the show we wanted to build, and I'm proud of what I've been able to do with Hollingsworth. I've said this to him before. I feel like the sum of what we are creatively is so much greater than what either of us could do individually. What I can do as a composer is one thing, but what we can do together is, is it's exponentially more than what I could do by myself. And I, I hope that doesn't sound arrogant because it's not, I, what I mean is that it's, it's, it's so much greater than me. I, I feel like what the show has become is, is a really special thing. And, um, it feels like it's something beyond even what I hoped it would be.
1: I, I try as just a goal in life to not be, not be kind of cynical about things. And, uh, it's helped me a lot throughout this process because I, something that still drives me is the idea of this idea that we had that we, we kind of worked around and, and talked about and chatted about in a, in a cafe and, and spent a lot of time putting down on note cards and talking back and forth and having me blurt out uh, stream of consciousness stuff um, over and over again and, and workshopped and thought about and, and forever. And, uh, and you know, recruited actors for and, and recruited directors for and spent hours and hours working on charts and hours and hours uh, just even (laughs) just formatting things. Um, Mm -hmm. The fact that it all leads into something where, where people come up on stage and and the audience connects to it and the audience laughs and they, they gasp and, and uh, they, they burst into applause when, when uh, particularly affecting song, really hits them and then and they even cry like that something about that still is is so unbelievably magical like it's it's and like not even in that cynical kind of like magic concept that i that maybe has even been sort of like you know commercialized like it it, it actually it literally feels like this awesome non-rational non-scientific connection between what's going on on stage and what happens in the audience and and knowing that where it all started, and 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 seeing it happen like, it's 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 bewildering and awe-inspiring, and um, it gives me life. It's so good. What
0: well, we're trying to say, Jen, is hashtag grateful.
2: about or if you have any things that you've really learned. I mean, when you go into this and you're kind of creating a musical and collaborating with a partner for the first time and you look back and all the things that you've learned along the way and that you would do differently or you would do better the next time, if there's people who are kind of where you were back in 2012 trying to figure this whole process out, if you want to impart any wisdom.
1: I guess it's, it's hard because I get everything is probably its own monster a little bit. And especially our, our, I I don't know how much of our story can be applied, but I guess structure is really important in every sense of the word structure in um, considering your show, considering kind of the skeleton that it hangs off of and structure in how you work, thinking about deadlines and thinking about the show as a whole thing, rather than kind of just kind of randomly letting stuff fall out of your head structure. And I guess I encourage everyone to do your homework. Like if you're, if you're crema- creating any kind of creative project, just do a deep dive, like figure out as much as you can about it and know your references and know kind of the world that, that exists surrounding it. That, that's, that's, that's the, the advice that I give that I, that I think helped me throughout this process is structure and homework. So the two most boring things you can possibly think of, but, but they really, really are helpful.
0: I think we were both quiet for a minute when you answered that question, or at least I was, because I'm like, I don't know, what do, what do, what do I know? But uh, I, I guess just to talk about my own journey and our journey, um, I, I think the most important thing for me, and I, I guess we're giving very like stock answers for our roles. Like That was a very book writer role, David Hollingsworth. That was a very book writer answer, um, <laughs> which, which is great. Um, I guess I'm gonna give like the composerly right brained answer. I don't know, which is cheesy but true. Like you've gotta follow your heart. I I identified something that everything in my gut and my being said, I love this, I want to do this, I need to be a part of this. And I think you have to feel that way. You have to hear the music, you have to love it, you have to want it, because Writing musicals takes a long time. I, I was very heartened the other day. I was listening to a Lin-Manuel interview, and he was like, well, who knows when I'll be here again? It takes at least seven years to write one of these things. And I'm like, well, thank God it takes him that long, too, because it, re- it really does. It's like we're, we're five years into this, and we're at least a year away from our world premiere, if we're lucky. And you've just got to love it. You've just got to love it. If you don't love it, don't bother, because it's another full-time job. It's another full-time job that no one's going to pay you to do for a very long time, and no one may ever pay you to do. And you've just got to love it. It's got to be worth it to you just to do it. And if it's not, just don't, because it's really hard.
2: So in an ideal world, what happens for Invisible?
0: Uh, In an ideal world... um, the regional 3d theatricals world premiere is a huge success we stay in touch with jordan roth and nicole kistrinos and kenny ahadeff and bobby lopez and all the wonderful people who have been we're at the top of their game who have been lucky enough to give us their advice and they come and see it and say "Yup, this is the shit let's get it to new york
1: would you agree david that's that's what we're hoping and I mean we're that's not what we're uh,
0: necessarily immediately <laughs>
1: saying is going to happen but that's that's no. no she, asked,
0: she asked for the dream she asked for the pipe has, dream. That's, that's that's the pipe dream.
3: I
2: love that Hollingsworth is the realist and <laughs> <laughs> like that's great but really I'm a man <laughs> in my crime.
3: holy crap this could work then I will rule this school. Turning IQ into muscle, making all these cretins drool, with my genius exposed for all the world to see. Their mouths agape at my glory as the spotlight shines on me.
2: Thank you for listening to part two of our series on Invisible the Musical. Tune in next time where we will talk to three of the main actors from the staged reading and their experience with originating roles in a new musical.
3: Then you'll see I'm the stud You thought Chetwick was you see I was never that nerd.
2: Now, um, I have for your Twitter is at invisible, invisible underscore musical.
0: Yeah, that's the show's Twitter. My Twitter is at O-R-R-I-S-I-M-O. And uh, mine
1: is Worth It. You'll see me. Hashtag blessed. blessed. <laughs> Hashtag so
3: blessed. Maybe you should release
2: um, in, an invisible mixtape. I'm really inserting myself into your lives, whether you like it or
3: not. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, maybe you want to. Insert away. That's great. Yeah, maybe you want to executive produce that recording, Jen. I think it's
2: (laughs) funny what you're assuming I'll put pants on for.